Not long ago, I saw this quote from Vagabond where um, it, it was a very simple one, but also a very beautiful one that said, salvation is to know what salvation is. And, and I don't know to which degree this is uh, actually Bhagavan's quote, but it, it, it had a ring of truth to it. And I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on what is it, what salvation, what, what is it that is meant generally in the spiritual realm by salvation? What, what does it, what does salvation is, knowing what salvation is, mean? Could you please elaborate on that? Okay. In Hinduism, sometimes we talk about salvation, about being saved. Often uh, one way in which it's expressed is um, even Bhagavan makes a reference to this in in, in Nana, uh, uh, reaching the other shore. For example, in the tenth paragraph of Nana, in the sentence where it says, "Oruvan uh, evlo however great a sinner one may be, uh, instead of uh, w without thinking, without lamenting and uh, weeping." I am indeed a sinner. Uh, how am I going to be saved? What is usually translated as how am I going to be saved? The literal meaning of that is epidi kadayera pokerain. How am I going to go and uh, rise up on the other, um, uh, uh, the other shore? Um, that is one way. So the, the idea is we are, we are all um, we are all lost in samsara. We're seeking to reach the shore of samsara. In that way, we are saved from samsara. So the, the word salvation, we can apply in the context of, um, of Indian philosophy, Indian bhakti traditions, and so on. Um, however, the term that is more usually used is mukti or moksha, which means liberation. That is, samsara is bondage. So the, the, we are liberated from bondage, but in effect, bondage—sorry, in effect, liberation and salvation mean the same. It's just whereas in um, in, for example, in Christianity, the main term that is used, they talk about salvation, though that word is not totally alien to the uh, uh, the Vedantic way of thinking. It is um, it, usually, it, it, more usually, it's expressed as liberation. And liberation is salvation because we're being saved from samsara, we're being saved from uh, bondage, we're being saved from, um, ultimately, we're being saved from ourselves, we're being saved from ego. Um, so when we talk of salvation, what are we being saved from? That's what we have to decide. In Christianity, for example, they, they, their idea is that we, we are being, if you're saved, you're saved from sin. But in Vedanta, uh, of course, sin is a problem. But what is the root of the problem called sin? It is obviously the sinner. So um, we, uh, uh, for example, Bhagavan was never much concerned about sins because his focus was on if a sinner investigates itself and finds out what it is, then we will find that we have never done any action at all, whether good action or bad action. That's the way to go beyond sin. So long as we rise as ego, we are inevitably sinning to a greater or lesser extent. In fact, we can say the very rising of ego is a sin. Bhagavan said, uh, when he was asked about the Christian um, doctrine of original sin, Bhagavan said, yes, ego itself is the original sin. In other words, the sinner is the original sin. So we need to question, am I, okay, I may be a great sinner, like it, as it said here, I am lamenting I am a great sinner. Maybe maybe the person we take ourselves to be is a great sinner, 
but or rather ego, but we but we are seem to be a great sinner. But are we this ego? If we investigate this ego, ego will dissolve back into its source, and then we will find that we are ever immaculate. We have never we have never risen as ego, and therefore have never committed any sin whatsoever. So the the, the sin is a secondary problem. The, the root problem is the sinner. The sinner is ego. Deal with the sinner, and all sins will be dealt with. Be saved from the sinner, and you're saved from all sins, in other words. Be liberated from the sinner, and you're liberated from all sins. But what is it that is liberated? What is liberated is what is eternally liberated, because what when when ego is removed what is it that remains it is only our real nature what we actually are the the, the infinite ocean of satchidananda but we actually are so that is what remains in salvation so that is so that is um liberated but it's not newly liberated because it's eternally liberated because it was never bound so the the bondage is only for ego. The liberation is the cessation of ego. When ego ceases, it's not that ego existed at one time in the past and has now ceased to exist. Uh, the cessation of ego is seeing that what appeared to be ego was actually pure awareness. Um, if you If you see a rope and mistake it to be a snake, if someone tells you to look carefully at the snake, if you look carefully at it, what do you see? It's just a rope. So metaphorically, we can say you've now killed the snake. You've, the snake has ceased to be. But has the snake actually ceased to be? No, because it was never there in the first place. Likewise, though we talk about eradication of ego or destruction of mind, manonasa, there's nothing actually to be destroyed. because. But how we destroy it, metaphorically, is we look at it very carefully and see that it doesn't actually, well, but what it actually is, is not ego or mind, is only the, the ever-liberated pure awareness, pure being. So it could be said that knowing ourselves is... Um, salvation and, and when he says no uh, salvation is knowing what well allegedly what he would say here the salvation is knowing what salvation is that could also be the same as saying salvation is knowing what we actually are yes but I don't think Bhagavan would have said that the thing is a lot of things were recorded Bhagavan said things the people who recorded things often didn't have a very deep understanding. So they would have recorded things. The words may sound nice, but it's not actually what Bhagavan said. For example, um, if you were, Bhagavan gives a nice definition, or a practical definition, let's say, of, um, of uh, liberation in the 16th paragraph of Nana. He says, Banda tilirkum tanya indru vicharitu tanyatata sarupate terindu kolvade mukti. That means um, investigating who is oneself who is in bondage, uh, knowing one's uh, yatata sarupa, one's, uh, one's actual nature, um, alone is mukti. So if if we investigate what we actually are and thereby know uh, our our own real nature, that is mukti. So if we investigate the one who is in bondage, we will thereby find that which is eternally liberated, namely the real. What is in bondage is ego. If we investigate ego, we will find it the ever liberated, um, uh, pure awareness. And, and that, in effect, is ending the ego, eradicating. In effect, it's ending the ego, but it's actually there never was an ego to end. But it, uh, but it, from the perspective of ego that now seems to exist, 
we can say that is the ending of ego. From the perspective of our real nature, our yatata sarupam, um, we were always that. And what is it that knows the yatata sarupam? It's obviously, it cannot be ego that knows the yatata sarupam. Yatata sarupam means actual nature. Can ego know its actual nature? No. It must try to know its actual nature. It must try to know what it actually is. But as soon as ego knows what it actually is, it ceases to be ego and remains as it actually is. So what 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 knows a Swarupa is only Swarupa. And Swarupa always knows Swarupa. So um, it, that is often, uh, liberation is often described as uh, Sukhaprap, Dukkhanivritti sukhaprapti. That means removal of uh, or, or cessation of um, of um, of suffering, of misery, and attainment of happiness. But it's also said, but what it, what it is? It is the removal of the ever non-existent misery and the attainment of the ever present, of the ever attained happiness. That is, happiness is not newly attained because we are already that. We are already infinite happiness. This is what Bhagavan is saying in verse 35 of Uludunapadu. What that verse means is being knowing the substance. The substance here means the real substance, poral, what actually exists. So uh, being what actually exists, uh, knowing it, um, or, or knowing what actually exists and thereby just being as we are is the implication. Um, the substance which exists as accomplished, that is, it is ever accomplished. The, the, the reality is not something to be newly achieved. The reality is always real. Uh, so being, knowing the substance which is, exists as accomplished is accomplishment. So the real accomplishment is only being what always is accomplished is the implication. All other accomplishments, the word to hear for it, I translate as accomplishment is city. All other accomplishments are just accomplishments achieved in a dream. If we, Whatever we may achieve in a dream, in a dream we may win the lottery or we may, um, or we may win the, a marathon race or get an Olympic gold medal or um, so many things we may achieve in a dream. But when we wake up, all our achievements uh, in dream are meaningless. So that's why in the next sentence, Bhagavan says, if one wakes up leaving sleep, are they real? Will those who, standing in the real state, have left the unreality be deluded? So what, what we are to accomplish is what is ever accomplished. So, so it's that why vasanas are so damaging because they take the happiness that is ever accomplished and they put them metaphorically speaking behind material objects. Yes. And so, but, but, I, I, I condition it seemingly conditioned that happiness to the acquisition of an object. Yes. But remember, the vasanas are a secondary problem. The primary problem is whose vasanas are they? It's ego's vasanas. So the My root God. problem is ego. I do that. And I it think that happens. Yes. It is the nature of ego to have vasanas. Because as Bhagavan says, grasping form, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. Grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. Leaving form, it grasps form. That is the very nature of ego. That's what he says in verse 25 of Uludhanapadu. So uh, the, the nature of ego is to grasp form. Its inclination to grasp form is what is called Vishaya Vasanas. So the Vishaya Vasanas are not ego, but it's the nature of ego to have Vishaya Vasanas. That's why the Vishaya Vasanas are the subtlest of all Vishis. That is the, the, the uh, Ananda Mayakosha or uh, will. That is the, uh, that consists only of the Vasanas. So that is, that is not ego. 
ego is that who's that whose vasanas they are. Vasanas means inclinations. You can't have inclinations without something that is inclined. What is it that is inclined to seek happiness here or there? It is ego. So, so it's uh, in a way. It I, that's what I. That's a, It seems like an a, a logical impossibility that me being happiness. I put that exact same happiness behind material objects. It's not like Vasana comes out of nowhere and and decides to force me into that. I do that. I me as yeah, ego. Yeah, decide, exactly, I'm going exactly. to be happy yes. when I get this computer or that car that put is, it behind that the thing is when we rise as ego we the one unlimited whole seem to become a limited entity we we are limited to the extent of this body so since we are since we have seemingly made ourselves finite we cannot experience the infinite happiness that we actually are so long as we experience ourselves as finite so the, the 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 problem is the limitations that we set on ourselves. Because we've set these limitations on ourselves, we seem to be something other than happiness. So since we seem to be other than happiness, or since happiness seems to be something other than ourselves, where do we seek it? We don't seek it in ourselves because we seem to be lacking in happiness. So we seek it outside. So when ego is Maya, it it it. it conceals our real nature, which is infinite happiness. And because it has concealed our real nature, in the view of ego, happiness is lacking in itself. Since it's lacking in itself, where is it to get it? Only from outside itself. So this is all the... That is, as Bhagavan often said, Maya is nothing but this ego. And if we think about the nature of ego, it's very clear why. As soon as we limit ourselves, we seemingly separate ourselves from the infinite happiness that we actually are. Since we've separated ourselves from it, it seems to be something other than ourselves. Since it's other than ourselves, we have to find it outside ourselves. And so we go out, we, we, we have such strong inclinations to seek that happiness outside ourselves. Those inclinations to seek happiness in this or that are what are called Vishayabhasanas. It is this is the it's the very nature of ego to have these Vishayabhasanas. But we should always remember the Vishayabhasanas are not ego. The Vishayabhasanas are the inclinations. The one who is inclined, that is ego. So it's my my, my inclination to put happiness outside in in things that I'm seeing. You can't you can't help doing that because once you've limited yourself, you seem to be separate from the infinite happiness that you actually are. Since happiness seems to be something other than yourself, where do you find it? If it's other than yourself, you've got to find it outside yourself. So then that 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 pursuit is what leads to karma. Yes, yes. That is the vasanas of the seeds that prompt us to do action. Because happiness lies in external things, because I will be happy if I get this car, or I'll be happy if I get a promotion in my job, or I'll be happy if I have a that nice tasty meal, or I'll be happy if I win the lottery. Because of because I wrongly believe that happiness is to be achieved from external things, I cannot achieve that happiness, but seems to lie in external things, unless I do something to get those external things. So if happiness lies in money, I must work hard to get money. If uh, if happiness lies in um, in being very learned, then I must study and study and study. So all all. That, that, that is the Vishayabhasanas inevitably lead to action. So that's why Vishayabhasanas are sometimes called Karma Vasanas. Karma Vasanas and Vishayabhasanas are one and the same thing. Why do we do action? In order to get happiness from Vishayas. Right. So in, in essence, all action is foolish because it feeds. My primal error, my primary error. Exactly, exactly. Of 
put in that condition that should yeah. not be there in the first place. But it's a secondary or, or tertiary fo folly. The primary folly is rising as ego. The secondary folly is believing that happiness lies in external things, which is a result of this primary one. Because happiness lies in external things, but the tertiary, the third problem is we begin to do actions to, to uh, get the happiness that lies in these external things. Right. Uh, sorry. But we should always remember that one point Bhagavan is constantly stressing is the root problem is ego. Because the oh, since ego is the root problem, the solution must lie not outside, but only in this. E e only ego must find the solution within itself. Now, because now none of the problems we are caused, we we are experiencing, are caused by anything outside. Because all now, the outside things seem to exist only in the view of ego. So the the problem is ego. And the solution must lie in ego. Now, when I put happiness behind material objects or any sort of perception, yes, I um, I don't just do it in a very slight way. I guess I engage in it in in such a way that when I want to revert this process, it takes a lot of practice on my side to undo this um habit yes yes it's it, it's not just a habit that is as i say it is the very nature of ego so we always have to bring it back to the problem is not the problem is the vasanasara problem but so I, there I is think, secondary well, problem the primary problem is ego so if it's my own nature, this is why it takes supreme love, because now I'm swimming yes, against yes, my yes. own actual nature. Yeah. We, we, now we are swimming against the nature of ego. But the nature of ego is contrary to our real nature. So by holding on to self-attentiveness, we are, we are denying our ego nature and affirming our real nature. Because our real nature is pure, pure awareness. Now, this is where Vivica comes along because I have to understand it to a certain degree. Yes. To to be able to swim against my nature, your ego nature. My my ego nature. I I have to understand why this has to be. Yes. Because your and, ego nature is opposite to your real nature. Your real nature is just to be. Your ego nature is to be constantly going outwards, constantly doing. And at some point, I guess I'll reach a degree where uh, my my ego nature will try to survive, uh, I guess, at all cost. And, and that's where my Vivica has to be strong enough. That's yes. where supreme love comes in. Exactly, exactly. Because exactly. I have to. Yeah, that yeah. that nature has to cease being. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just a matter of having a solid intellectual understanding of anything. No, but I, a clear understanding is necessary in order to understand what the practice is. If we don't understand Bhagavan's teachings correctly, we we won't understand the practice correctly. Sometimes people say, oh, I don't want all the theory, I just want the practice. But in Bhagavan's teaching, the, the theory and practice are inseparable. Because, but it's, we can't even call it theory, but the, the, the philosophy is pointing only at the practice. And the philosophy is clarifying what the practice is, why it is necessary, how so without the correct understanding of Bhagavan's teachings, we won't be, our practice will be less than perfect. But in order to understand Bhagavan's teachings correctly, we need to put them into practice. Because if we just try to understand by reading the books and, and thinking about them, our understanding will always be imperfect. It's like if you, if you want to learn to ride a bicycle from reading books, you can go on and on studying books, 
it won't help you to learn to ride a bicycle. To learn to ride a bicycle, you need to get on the bicycle and experience the difficulties. When you experience the difficulties, then all that you've read about it will become clearer to you because all those difficulties are explained in, in what you were reading, but you weren't understanding them fully previously because you had never actually tried to put it into practice. So the practice is all important. The right, real, but... the re that is, we need to understand the teachings uh, correctly in order to put in, into practice. But right. uh, the, um, the extent to which we can understand by mere reading and sravana manana, reading about it and thinking about it, is limited. But we can understand enough to begin to put it into practice. The more we put it into practice, the more all that we have read will become clear to us. That is, Bhagavan's teachings are very, very simple, but very, very deep. So when we first read some uh, a text like Nana or Ulujunapdu or Pradeshundia, we understand something. But our understanding is very superficial at first. But the more we go into we put it into practice, the clearer what Bhagavan has written in these texts will become to us. Right. But when I put it into practice and try to um, have an understanding of what the teachings are and the implications and try to go within everything, what I notice is that it gets harder and harder because uh, my attention tries to leave its place and it tries to, I, I try to seek out that it's like my habit, well, it, my inclination of putting happiness outside gets stronger and stronger as opposed to getting weaker and weaker. And it, it is very... Yeah, um, that that is... The, the more clearly we understand what the practice is, the more we recognize how reluctant we are to um, to actually put it into practice. So long as we didn't have a very clear understanding of what we're supposed to be doing, it may have seemed relatively easy. But the more clearly we understand what is meant by self-attentiveness, the more we recognize how little liking we have to be self-attentive. Because if we're really self-attentive, we're putting our head on the chopping block. We're, we're, we're stepping over the edge of a cliff, and we're not yet ready to step over the edge of a cliff. We're not yet ready to put our head on the chopping block. Because we know as soon as we put our head on the chopping block, the guillotine is going to fall down. So we find every, we find every way possible to avoid putting our head on the chopping block. So the, the more clearly we understand Bhagavan's teachings, the more clearly we will understand how little liking we have for it. I, but there's no other way. We have to practice it. However much we may try to resist, we need to continue practicing because this is the only way to break down the barriers. So, so... It, it, that's, that's why that's where that's what grace comes in right to yes and that is why Bhagavan in Akshramlai describes this as Aral Poratam the warfare of grace it's the, it's the warfare between our satvasana or liking to turn within and all our the vast army of Vishaya Vasanas and why is it called the warfare of grace because the satvasana is grace working within us. That is, grace manifests in our heart as satvasana, as the liking to turn within. So actually what is fighting the, this battle is only grace. But we have to play our part. We have to cooperate with grace by trying to turn within. Until grace alone remains. Until grace alone remains, exactly. Um, That's it, why Bhagavan often used to say, grace is the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's grace that has drawn us to this path. It is grace that motivates us to follow this path. And eventually, it is grace that will swallow us. And when grace has swallowed us, what remains? Only grace. And that grace is Bhagavan itself, Bhagavan himself. Bhagavan and his grace are not two different things.
Um, when ego goes, all vasanas go. Everything goes. Okay. Bhagavan says it very simply in verse 26. If ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. So all these vasanas, they, they come into existence only when we rise as ego, because how can vasanas exist without ego? Because whose vasanas are they? They're ego. Vasanas means inclination. You can't have inclinations without something that is inclined. So what is inclined is ego. Got it. So, yeah, so I can see how what I today experience as me having been born and, and everything is predicated on me experiencing myself with this ego nature and me seeking happiness outside. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Yeah. The root cause is ego. And what is ego? Ego is nothing but a false awareness of ourself. It's an awareness of ourself as I am this or I am that. Whereas what we actually are is nothing other than I am. So this ego is the adjunct conflated uh, awareness. I am such and I am this person. I am such and such person. I am this or I am that. Remove the adjuncts. What remains is the pure I am. That's why Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Uludhanapadu, seeing oneself without adjuncts is seeing God. Because God exists as oneself. God shines exactly. as oneself. And then, and that is happiness. That is happiness. Thank you. Okay, that that was a very good question. By the way, that quotation—I doubt if that is what Bhagavan said. I think that's someone. Bhagavan would have said something. Someone would have understood in their own way. Um, I figure Bhagavan would. For who is it who is seeking salvation? Who is it who is in bondage? That's why I referred to that sentence in the 16th paragraph where he says, investigating oneself who is in bondage, or investigating who is oneself who is in bondage, and thereby knowing uh, one's real nature alone is liberation. Can I ask one Michael? Yes. It's about the, the verse 25 uh, that you mentioned earlier. Yes. When Bhagavan says, grasping form, it comes into existence, grasping form, it stands, and grasping and feeding on form, it flourishes uh, abundantly. Yes. That's the second phrase, uh, because, uh, yes, the, the first phrase is uh, how ego comes into existence by projecting... It, it's, we can't even say it's how ego comes into existence. Wow. It is the very nature of ego. As soon as ego comes into existence, it grasps form. Because it, it cannot have grasped form before coming into existence. Uh -huh. So Bhagavan doesn't say by grasping form. He says grasping form it comes into existence. Uh -huh. It's coming into existence and it's grasping form are simultaneous. Simultaneous. Uh -huh. yeah, and the seconds, by, by saying grasping form it stands, what, what yes. is the added connotation? Because I feel that, uh, I, I know Bhagavan doesn't say anything unless it's, it is important. Yes. That, that is the first form we grasp is the form of a body. We grasp it as I. Only then do we become aware of other forms. As yeah. Bhagavan says in the fourth verse, if one's self is a form, the world and God will be likewise. So we can't know any other forms until we have first grasped the form of this body as ourself. And of course, this body doesn't exist before we grasp it. We project it. Grasping it means we projected it and uh, take it to be ourself. And so we cannot come into existence without simultaneously projecting and grasping the form of a body as ourself. And we cannot stand for a moment as ego without grasping a body as ourself. So the first two sentences, Grasping form, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. This is the form that is referred to there is the form of a body. That is not just the, not, that's not referring just to the physical body. It's referring to all the five sheaves. Because as Bhagavan said uh, in verse 5, Udal Panchakosa Uru, the body is a form of five sheaves.
and grasping and feeding on form, it refers to vishayas. Uh, to all, other, all other form. All other that time. is, as soon as we are aware of ourselves as this form, we are aware of so many other forms. Yeah. Now, now, Michael, this is whatever I'm aware of. This could be sound, uh, any, anything. Any, form doesn't just mean physical forms. Uh, it means anything that is in any way distinguishable from anything else. So all the all the uh, physical phenomena and all mental phenomena, all the thoughts, feelings, uh, emotions. These are all forms. Everything he says in verse twenty. Everything, yeah. Everything, anything that has that has any measurable quality. Yes, any anything that is in any way distinguishable from anything else. Got it. And that which is formless is infinite, because it, a thing is a thing is only finite because it has certain defining. Um, uh, distinguishing characteristics that which is has no distinguishing characteristics is thereby infinite so our real nature is infinite everything that appears in the view of ego is finite yeah. ego and everything that appears in its view is finite now i don't want to put much importance on that which is seen but mm. i do have the question of the the what is it that decides what forms are going to be there for the ego to see and and is is it like because I understand that in in verse twenty six if ego comes into existence of if ego comes into existence then in existence then everything comes into yeah. existence is it as in um say I have a uh, say I have a video game console. I put the game in. So as soon as I turn the video game console on, the entire thing comes into existence. But I, the place the 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 con the video game console is not deciding what will be rendered on the screen. I am deciding it. I am by that I mean God. Um, yeah. Is, is it is it is it like a yes. DVD that, player where that that is whatever happens to us? In other words, what what we experience in the sense of what happens to us is determined by pararabdha. God. What happens by us is determined by the vasanas that we allow ourselves to be swayed by. So, so pararabdha meaning by God. By God, yes. God has selected, that is why we say prarabdha, because the prarabdha is the fruit of our past actions, but those fruit have been selected by God. So as Bhagavan says, whether you call it prarabdha or the will of God, it's the same thing. Now, is that why I never, I always, when I remember a dream, mm. I, I know I dreamed, I, I know that I participated in the dream, but yeah. I never remember me architecting the dream or constructing the no, dream. Because your experience in the dream is not that you're the dreamer. You in the, in the dream you you experience yourself as one of the people in the dream world. So we always overlook the fact that we are dreaming. If we if because the, the dreamer always identifies itself with a person in its dream. As a person, the person is not the dreamer. The, the person is something that is dreamt. So we always overlook the fact that we are dreaming all this. Right. Because right. we seem to be a part of all this. Right. So so in a dream, I I oh, I'm everything in the dream so that I can understand there, yeah. I don't, as Bhagavan says in, the, in yeah, verse 26 of Uludhna, Bhagavan says, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. What he means by that is, what ego sees as everything is only itself. So the substance that appears as all this is only ego. 
Right. So I can understand. I can understand how in a dream, I can see everything is. So anything in the dream is myself. So if I see a flying whale up in the sky, yeah. I don't think there, there was a material process that brought it into being. Yeah. I can see how that came out of my own projection my own mind mm. and and also the person i seem to be in the dream because sometimes yeah. i dream myself as a soldier or something like i i know yeah. i've never partaken in anything like that so i understand yeah. that me as a subject and everything else as objects are coming into being the minute that i'm dreaming but what i don't remember is me planning all of this no no because no. that's got yes yes which is not separate from my yes ego nature yes that's giving light to this that nature. is even here we need to we need to refine it slightly that is what is dreaming all of this is ego ego is the dreamer but ego the dreamer doesn't determine what it is going to dream that Correct. is chosen by god so we shouldn't conflate ego the dreamer and god God is not the dreamer. God is uh, is the one who who selects what the dreamer is to dream, and that is very strongly related to my vastness. So, yes, depending yes. on my vastness and my parapta. Yeah. Well, but what you experience in the Sorry, dream is the fruit of your past actions that you did under the sway of your vastness. While you're experiencing your dream, you're still being swayed by your vasanas, because many things appear in your dream. Some things you like, some things you dislike. All these likes and dislikes is coming from your vasanas. So the, the the content of the dream is determined by prarabdha or God's will, however we want to put it. It amounts to the same, whereas. Our response to that is determined by our vasanas. Oh, I like this. I dislike that. I'm afraid of this monster that's chasing me. That's all the, the internal reaction to all these things, our likes and dislikes and desires and attachments. These are all the coming, are our vasanas. But whatever is presented to us is, um, is the destiny. I see. So I, I, okay. I, I, and then it, I, it's up to me whether I get swayed by my inclination. Yes, 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 exactly. But I'm still in any dream. I'm always in a lesser situation where I, whatever happiness I see in any dream, it's nothing but my own self, my own. Yes, yes nature so no dream is a greater situation is any but, dream is a lesser situation no the dreaming mind sees itself as the dream that's why Bhagavan says ego is everything because he, what ego when ego sees many things it's seeing itself as those many things because very nothing other than itself actually exists so all these things seem to exist only in the view of ego Therefore, they have no independent existence. So, so there's no justifiable dream, and other than just our spiritual progress, because no, yeah, I, I can see, I can see how it, how it takes some vivaka to, yeah, yeah, process that. <laughs> it comes slowly, slowly. We should, we don't. I mean, we, 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 we cannot. Uh, we cannot um, rush these things. It's like a, a plant that is growing. It takes time for the plant to grow. Right. Okay. So slowly, well, slowly, Bhagavan is nurturing that clarity in our heart. But in order to experience, in order to uh, to allow that nurturing to continue, we have to cooperate by playing our part by trying to turn within. Right. So, so that's so that's why it takes again supreme love to to because exactly. say, saying that 
this this there's no justifiable dream. I'm I'm also that involves implies that there's no even this waking state is not justifiable in the sense that the entire I think the entire goal is to be to to be happy. Mm. But if happiness is our nature mm. and we and it's put behind objects, then there there's really no justifiable situation for ego nature to even to even exist and be present and yeah so there's no not justifiable reason to rise to rise as ego no no okay and that's why the the nature mm -hmm. of our practice is uh, as bhagavan says in that verse of uh, paragraph 11 yeah of nanari's uh, uh, as in in when thoughts arise yes uh, then and there it's necessary for us yes, to yes, yes because yes, there exactly. it's the 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 point where everything comes into existence actually we are swayed yes, by vasanas yes. we ourselves take ourselves to be the doer yeah we uh do actions and we perpetuate the whole the whole cycle yeah? yes okay and then as ego we always identify ourselves with some subject that is we there is not even ourselves so we, as yes. ego we never actually be, say we are i am i am always some subject in that dream yes yes some limited subject in the dream well yeah we to put it more precisely ego is the subject the subject in the sense that it is the experiencer but the subject always experiences itself as an object as a body as a body exactly so i'm always a limited the body, body is not a subject um, the body is the object but the ego that is aware of itself as i am this body that is the subject because the subject is what is aware of all the objects there always has to be a point of view yeah yeah but the body doesn't have to be by body well um i've i've heard some stories about near-death experiences where the body that is experienced is not a hard body but there's always a point of view it, where it, that that is in near-death experiences sometimes people come back from near-death experience and they describe observing their body and observing people weeping or the doctors trying to resuscitate it or something they as you say they're always observing from a certain point sometimes they may be up near the ceiling looking down or whatever it is so the very fact that they uh they have a a location in physical time and space means they are a, a physical they have a physical body there but that physical body is an ethereal physical body it cannot be seen or touched or by anyone else but the, the the one who is observing from that body is able to see all other things so it has a it has to it has a location in time and in space and sees multiplicity also yes exactly mm -hmm. well you're also limited that's why bhagavan says in verse 5 the body is a form composed of five sheaths. Therefore, all five are included in the term body. The implication is that we never experience one of these five without experiencing all of them. As one unit. As one unit, exactly. But then that unit is always limited, bound. Yes, but because it, it, it's, it's limited within the extent of a body, the physical extent of a body. Right. So it's limited by time and space and everything. Right. It's not like I can't fly today and go to work and just fly my way into the office. I'm yeah. living it to the fact that I have yeah. two legs. Yeah. And even though Bhagavan tells us that this is all a dream and our body is a projection, of ego, even though that's uh, and we believe that it's still so so real that it's so real it's so real it, it's it, why why is it real because 
we take this um we take ourselves to be the uh to be this um to be this body what is actually real is only ourself since we experience the body as ourself the body seems to be real and since the since the body seems to be real the whole world seems to be real because the body is a part of this world can this body be real but the chair i'm sitting on be unreal can this room i'm sitting in be unreal obviously not if the body is real everything else is all other physical things are real but but if we put the pieces together and and we um say that well we understand that god decides what that which is dreamt and and then and and it's so real right it, it it somehow i feel very vulnerable to god's power and that makes me say so i have water today i'm i thank god for the water that i have yes 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 then yes. dream but being so vulnerable to his power to this power i i really very much appreciate it yeah 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 but um remember god is not actually anything other than ourselves so long as we limit ourselves with this body god seems to be something other than ourselves so we say he's uh, he's uh, allotting the fruit of our karma selecting what we are to experience in this lifetime but how is he doing that is god actually doing anything no as bhagavan makes clear in the 15th paragraph of nana not even a single action attaches itself to god that means he's ever the non-doer but by his the special nature of his mere presence or the mere special nature of his presence everything happens right well i can see that um because i i feel that I, i i look back and i i see how this attachment and and things that this putting happiness behind objects it puts a toll on me as an ego so yes, yes. and and i for sure I, i i don't want myself to suffer and i want myself to be happy yeah and 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 i can see how although it seems a little cruel at times to see how many things have gone through if i were to look back and retrace my steps and if i were to decide i would i wouldn't change a thing because that chain of events led me to be here today talking yes. about this so i i i can see how love can drive this yes 